it's wonderful to sing the gospel, the good news that Jesus came, born of a virgin. He lived, he healed, he taught, he died, he rose, he ascended, he birthed the church, and he's coming back. God, we thank you for these great truths. May they encourage our hearts today. May we love you more, seek you more, live for you more because we understand better who you are in the glorious gospel, the good news. And God, we desire that that glorious gospel go to the ends of the earth, every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. And so now we pray and we give that the gospel might go forth for your glory. So now we give with joy. This is an act of worship as we bring our offering in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Since Living Hope was started in the year 2013, we began with a tithing value. So literally, since the first dollar was given to this church, we have tithed 10%. We've tithed everything given to the general fund. And I found out this week that we have given $444,000 to ministries outside of our church because we're a tithing church. So we give praise to God for that. So be encouraged that when you give, you can know that a portion of that is going to the ends of the earth, to local ministries, benevolence, and other things. As the offering's taken, I want you to hear a powerful testimony from a man that we call G. Morning, church. Um, they call me G. My name's John Carlo. Uh, for the last 25 years of my life... I've been ruled by sin, filled with hate, and desperate, lonely without God. I've been in the ministry of fresh winds for almost 90 days, and uh, everything I've lost during the 25 years previous has been gained back or rightly forgotten. The miracle of Christ's blood has given me the gift of sobriety, finally. At fresh winds, I've learned that I'm not an addict. I'm a child of God struggling with addiction. I've learned that my struggle is a direct reflection of my spiritual condition. So after being told my entire life that I had a disease with little chance of living a normal life, I was set free by the generational curses put on my soul and my spirit. Last year, I was under indictment for crimes that separated me from my wife and my four children. My actions ripped my family apart. My wife and I had become addicted to heroin. Our children were taken by defects. Our home was gone, and I was in jail. My wife was on the streets struggling to survive, homeless and alone. Uh, while I was in jail, I made a decision to change, to make a change that would put my life and my wife and my family in a better place. I prayed for the first time, honestly, in 20 years, in all earnestness, for God to guide me into court and tell the truth about what I'd done, and the judges don't hear that very often. Uh, I had 12 counts of second-degree commercial burglary, which holds a maximum of 40 years in prison. So I was scared, um, but I told the truth. And God was there in court with me, and he began to bless me immediately. I was given a uh, suspended sentence to go to prison, suspended upon contingents of going to fresh winds, completion and a lot of probation, which actually just recently has been done away with, another blessing. Um, there won't be any probation. Uh, when I walked into Fresh Winds for the first time, I felt like, felt like I was at home, but my mind was divided, distracted by my wife's struggle with addiction and her homelessness. Here in Athens, there's a huge need for a spiritually driven program for women. There's a lot of you know, sober living environments, but Nothing like fresh winds that is driven entirely by the Holy Spirit. And while at fresh winds, I've also learned that our Creator desires to be put first, and then all of the things will be added unto us. So after about a month of struggling with my wife's disposition and her hardship, I finally gave it up to Christ to handle for me, and God pulled through again. Our Heavenly Father took my wife by the hand and walked her into detox on her own fruition. And it is sober living where she's been sober for 42 days today. Thank you. She's right over there. She deserves all the applause. Uh, last week, we appeared in front of the court 
for juvenile court, and the judge ruled that uh, despite all the charges, we've done such a drastic turnaround that by the February we will have reunification dates set for our children. The spiritual guidance given to me by the Ministry of Fresh Winds and Living Hope has filled my cup to overflowing, and every part of my life has been filled. Our story is a miracle. Too often we forget the true nature of miracles. We become deluded to the amazing phenomena of our existence, what it is to just be anything at all. And we take for granted the divinity of our consciousness. And I was reminded just recently by the Ministry of Fresh Winds that we are intelligently designed, destined not to be addicts or criminals or cowards or liars, but disciples of Christ. Living hope, fresh winds. God is alive in these places. He's alive in my family and in my heart. I'm a father of four, a husband and a disciple of God, and I appreciate you letting me share my testimony. Amen. Woo! Glory. <laughs> I love it. Stay up here, brother. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. So proud of you, man. So proud of you. Would you join me in prayer? Just extend your hands out to G. Father, uh, this is a living testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit and the glorious gospel of Jesus, and we thank you. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Changed lives for your glory. God, you said, Jesus, in Isaiah 61, you fulfilled the prophecy to come to set the captives free. God, we pray blessings over G, his wife, his children. God, when they were reunited, just make them an amazing family for you. I pray that through their lives, through their example, through their testimony, through their ministry, many, 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 many will be reached for you. And God, as we are by faith believing you to start a women's program starting in April, we trust you for that. Provide the facilities, the finances, the people, all that's needed. And we just pray blessings over our brother in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Wow. Children that wish to go to Children's Church, you are dismissed out that exit right there. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We've saved more worship for after the message because of the topic today. I have the privilege of preaching about heaven, our future home, and how our future home is to affect our present life. Men, you were handed as you walked in this card. This is an incredible event we've got coming up next year. It's called the Whole Heart Advance. My brother comes with a team from Colorado. It's all new material, so if you went to the last one, it'll be all new material. We want every man in the church to go to this. We really do. Uh, so be praying about it. If finances are an issue, we give you this now so that you can ask for this for Christmas. If finances are a problem, ask your family to give you this for Christmas. And I encourage you to begin to pray about it. Make sure you get that Friday off because it starts Thursday night, goes through Sunday. And uh, how many of you were a part of the last one? We had 80 men go to the last one. It was incredible, it was powerful, and we're doing it again, and we believe that this is going to be a great time. So I encourage you men to make this a priority. All right, well, we are wrapping up our study in the book of Second Peter today. Living a stable life in the midst of an unstable world, and this is a great finality, it's a great culmination today as we are in chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, and let's stand together in respect for God's Word as I read Second Peter three ten and following. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Remember we talked last week about this illustration here, the string and the ball. The string represents eternity past. That ball is your life. And the string, and pretend it goes out infinitum, is time and eternity future. And that we're to live within the ball in a way that is mindful of eternity. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works there are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Verse 13, but according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. So half of this message is going to be on that one verse. What is this new heavens and the new earth that we have the privilege of looking forward to? Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, 
Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So that's referring to the patience referred to in, in verse 9 where it says God is patient wishing all to come to repentance. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. So now Peter's going to reference Paul's writings and it's very important what he says here. According to the wisdom given him, verse 16, as he, that is Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them about these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Now, that's a very significant phrase. Wayne Grudem talks about this in Systematic Theology, that, that Peter was already recognizing Paul's writings as being divinely inspired. And so, the Bible didn't come about because of a, a committee of people saying, oh, this book, that book, and this book. No, it was already recognized as being inspired. They knew that what Paul was writing was from the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God, we thank You for Your Word. It's infallible, it's inerrant, it's eternal, it's everlasting. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit. And God, I was thinking this week about how amazing that you, the God of the universe, would create this place called heaven. You didn't have to do that. You could have just said, well, when you die, you die, and that's it. But because you love us so much and you long for us to be with you forever, you created this eternal home that we get to be with you forever. How amazing is that? Would you raise our understanding, raise our spirits today to see it more clearly that in this life here, we would live properly in light of what's coming. And God, I pray with all my heart that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that is not truly born again, they're not truly saved, they're not truly a disciple of Jesus, we pray today will be the day of salvation, that they too can spend eternity in this amazing place. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The story is told of a man who died, and at his visitation, it was an open casket, and lying in the casket was this man with a fork on his chest. And a lot of people were kind of miffed and perplexed by this, and they went up to the pastor and goes, what's the deal there? And the pastor said, well, he requested that when he died, he would be buried, and in his casket, there would be a fork on his chest. Because when he grew up, he would always go to his grandmother's for Thanksgiving, and they would have this amazing meal. And then his grandmother would always say, now everybody, keep your fork, for the best is yet to come, meaning dessert. And I want to show people with that fork that my best is yet to come, my home in heaven. And we have the privilege today of learning from God's Word, this place called heaven, and I want to commend to you a book that is the most extensive book ever written on heaven. It's called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He referenced or read over 150 books about heaven before he wrote this. And uh, we'll have some Q&A at the end. And I'll, I'll address your pet. I know that's the big question. Will my pet, will my pet be in heaven? And we'll, we'll try to answer that. You know, will Fluffy be there? Uh, I can tell you this, the, 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 the animal that bit my wife and put her in the hospital a number of years ago, that ain't going to be in heaven. You know, that, that dog is not going to heaven. <laughs> but but he, answered, he, he does an amazing job in this book. And so what we're going to talk about today is our future home. If you're a believer, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, your future home, and then how should that affect how you live now? It should affect us a lot. We need to think about heaven more. C.S. Lewis says those who have the greatest impact on earth are those who think most about life after earth. And so it's important that I note that when we talk about heaven today, we're talking about the the, 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 the permanent heaven. Because Randy Alcorn writes about, he uses this phrase, and I like it, it's called the intermediate heaven. Did you know there is an intermediate heaven? In other words, when you die, your spirit, if you're a believer, your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body at home with the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 1, he was struggling, you know, he wanted to stay and minister, but he also wanted to depart and be with Christ. Your spirit goes to be with Jesus in this intermediate heaven but it's the permanent heaven we're talking about today. Because we've seen in this passage that He's going to destroy, He's going to melt earth and, and the heavenly bodies, they're going to be destroyed by fire or purified. Some say it, it's referenced more to purify. In any case, they're going to be gone as they are now, and there's going to be this permanent heaven. That's what we're talking about. 
And that's spoken of a lot in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. You'll see a lot of those references in the notes today. And so I want to just give you five descriptions of heaven today. This is not an exhaustive list. There's so many other aspects that we could talk about, but we don't have time. Like, I don't even get into our new bodies today. But that's when you, in the permanent heaven, you will get a new body. You'll have to have a new body because our current body could not stand the glory and the holiness of God. And that body will be free of all disease and pain. There'll never be sickness. And, and we'll get into that a little bit, but I'm not even talking today much about our body. But I want to give you five descriptions of this permanent heaven. And the first is this. Heaven is a literal place. Jesus talked in John 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. The book of Revelation gives dimensions. It talks about gates and walls, and, and it talks about rivers and all these things. And so it, it's, a, it's a literal place. This is not just something that Christians have made up to make them feel better. You know, oh, we're going go to oh, go to heaven when we all get to heaven. No, this is a literal, physical place. Number two, it's absent of everything bad. Revelation 21 says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more pain or mourning or crying or pain. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then it says in verse 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Aren't you glad, beloved? Could I hear an amen? amen. Absent of everything bad. Think of everything that has caused you pain or sorrow or hurt in your life. Just think about it, not for very long, but think about it. It's not going to be there. Look at this passage. Let it sink into your spirit. He'll wipe away every tear. Everything bad that has caused you pain and hardship and crying will be gone forever. <laughs> no more death. No more things that cause death. No more sin, cancer, disease. No more physical ailments. No more heart attacks. <laughs> No more COVID, hallelujah. No more car accidents or abortions or murder. No domestic violence. No more mourning over relational hurts. No more financial worries. No more stress for any reason. No more medication. No more depression. No more anxiety disorders. No more mental illness. No more, no more schizophrenia. No more multiple personalities. No abuse, no mistreatment of anyone at any time, no Satan, no temptations, no bad news, no divisions, nothing unclean, evil, bad, or hurtful. Because all of that will be put into hell. Revelation tells us that all sin, evil, Satan, and all whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in the lake of fire forever. Now, I don't know who once said it, but somebody once said, hell can be viewed as a blessing. Because that is the place where all evil, sin, and Satan, and everything anti-God will be put forever and sealed up forever, thus securing a place called heaven where none of that can reside in any form or fashion. And that leads to our third characteristic of heaven. It's filled with everything good. <laughs> Verse 13 says, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In verse chapter 21, verse 5 of Revelation, behold, I'm making all things new. Listen, heaven will be filled with all the qualities and attributes of God. Perfect love and peace and goodness, righteousness, purity, harmony, unity among people. Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17 will be finally and fully answered. Contentment, worship, thanksgiving, beauty, joy, unspeakable and full of glory, delight, holy pleasure, perfect soul-filled relationships, fellowship with God and others at the deepest and most profound level, adventure, fulfillment and satisfaction and new physical bodies. It will be filled with everything good, wholesome, righteous, pure, because it's filled with God. Number four, it'll be a joyful reunion of God's people. In Revelation 7, it talks about a great multitude from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. Listen, God loves us so much, 
He not only wants us to spend eternity with Him, but He's such a God of community, demonstrated in the very Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is community even within His own nature, but He wants us to have community at such a deep level that He says, not only do I want you to be with me forever, I want all of my people to be with me forever. I want them to experience perfect fellowship with me as their Creator and perfect fellowship with each other. I can't wait to see my mom again. After 11 years with Alzheimer's. Can't wait to see my wife's mom again. Who literally prayed her into the kingdom. When she was living as a rebellious late teenager. And she would come home and her mother would be on her knees praying for her. Can't wait to see her. Can't wait to see all the brothers and sisters I've had the privilege of meeting on the mission field. Can't wait to to be forever with people from Haiti and Uganda and Malawi and Zambia and China and Japan and Hong Kong. There'll be this amazing reunion of all God's people. There'll be no racism. There'll be no division of any sort. It will be this amazing, harmonious time together. I can't wait to see C.S. Lewis and thank him for his books. Can't wait to thank Spurgeon and, and G. Campbell Morgan for the contribution they made to the kingdom. I can't wait to sit around with John Wesley and talk about the signs, wonders, and miracles that he experienced in his revival meetings. Because somebody recently gave me a book. It's the Journals of John Wesley. And it's filled with testimonies of signs, wonders, and miracles that happened in the times that he ministered. It's going to be this joyful reunion of all of God's people. John Newton, who owned a slave ship and was radically saved and wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace, he said there are going to be three wonders of heaven. John Newton said there's going to be three wonders in heaven. Number one, The wonder of people who are there that I didn't think would be there. (laughs) The wonder of people I thought would be there that aren't there. Ooh. But he said the greatest wonder is that I will be there. Mm. He said the greatest wonder is that I'll be there because he was so profoundly amazed at the grace of the Lord Jesus that could forgive anybody no matter what their sin if they truly repented and cast themselves at the cross of the Lord Jesus where His grace and His blood is sufficient to cleanse of all unrighteousness. And only by His grace and blood are we redeemed and forgiven and declared righteous in the sight of God and thus qualified for heaven. The only thing, beloved, that qualifies you and me for heaven, it's not our works. It's not our religion. It's not our baptism. It's nothing we do. The only thing that qualifies us for heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ declared righteous by faith in Him. And when you are, He says you're His bride. And He longs to have His bride with Him forever. So the greatest part of heaven and the part that makes all of the others possible is number five. It's occupied with God Himself. Revelation 21, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now. You just you feel the emotion here. Now. It's like God saying, finally. What I have always longed for is coming to fruition. Now. The dwelling of God is with men and women. People. His prized creation is you and me. And He will live with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Beloved, this is a culmination of all that God created the universe to experience. His bride with Him forever. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We will see Jesus face to face. The fulfillment of John 14 when Jesus said, I will take you to be with me and you will be where I am. The Bible says there will be no need for sun or moon or a lamp. Because the glory of God and the Lamb will illuminate heaven. Oh, beloved, you don't want to miss this. The best part of heaven is God is there. Randy Alcorn says the presence of God is the essence of heaven. I love that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in His fullness. Finally, we will be with our glorious groom forever, never separated again. And He will have His precious bride that He sent His Son to redeem forever with Him. Perfect fellowship forever. The reason Jesus said that there will be no marriage or giving of marriage in heaven is because we will finally be with our ultimate groom, Jesus. Marriage was to be an earthly picture of Christ in the church. There will be no need for that anymore. And listen to this, folks. I believe one of the greatest adventures of heaven will be that we will continually discover 
new and deeper aspects of God's amazing and complex and incredible nature. Because His nature is ultimately inexhaustible. His nature is so amazing, so complex, so deep, so incomprehensible, that it will take all of eternity to fully experience His nature. And we will never fully experience because there will be always more to discover. Oh, listen to this, beloved. We will swim in the ocean of God's love and scuba dive there maybe for hundreds of years. Each day, discovering new beauties of the colors and the coral of God's love. And then we will jump over to the eternally deep lake of God's grace. <laughs> and we'll swim and we'll discover new aspects of His grace. And then maybe after a couple hundred years later, then we can take a hike on the trail of His faithfulness. And we'll be hiking along and we'll discover new aspects. New deep-rooted trees. Biggest trees we've ever seen. Most brilliant colors. All just about His faithfulness. His faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Spurgeon, Wesley, and you and me. And then, oh, I think I'll go climb the mountain of His sovereignty. I'm going to climb for the next 2,000 years <laughs> in eternity, even though time is going to be a wholly different nature. Let's climb the mountain of His sovereignty. Discover new realms of His amazing sovereignty and how He wove the tapestry of time throughout history and He brought it all together to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Every day in heaven will give us a deeper and greater and fuller understanding of His incredible nature. This God who is holy and loving and merciful and faithful and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent, sovereign, immutable, righteous and good. Jonathan Edwards once said, we will be progressive in knowledge for all of eternity. <laughs> progressive in knowledge for all of eternity. An illustration that I've always loved is when you get to heaven, it's like you, you open a door and there's an endless hallway. And that's the hallway of God's nature and God's character. And you say, well, I think I'll open the door of His love today. <laughs> and you open the door and there's another endless hallway with endless doors. And you open one of those doors, it's just one little facet of His love. And there's another endless hallway with endless doors. This amazing place filled with God. Because it's filled with God. It has to be absent of everything evil. It has to be filled with everything good. And this is why the last page of this amazing book. Beloved, I encourage every one of you to get this and read it. Listen to the last paragraph in this book. If you know Jesus, I'll be with you in that resurrected world. With the Lord we love and with the friends we cherish. And we'll embark together on the ultimate adventure in a spectacular new universe awaiting our exploration and dominion. Jesus will be the center of all things and joy will be the air we breathe. And right when you think it doesn't get any better than this, it will. <laughs> right when you think it won't get any better, it will. And listen, if you think heaven is boring, you have no clue what it's about and you'll definitely never say after today it's going to be boring. It's going to be the greatest adventure. Everything within you good that is there, that God has created, will come to fulfillment in heaven. And this is why in Revelation 27, verse 17, three times, it says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Come. He makes that invitation to every person. He will not force Himself upon you as we talked about last week. Is this your eternal home? Do you know today you're born again? Do you know today you're saved by the blood of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? If not, get saved today. Receive Christ today. Surrender your life to Christ today so that this might be your eternal home. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, and every day we have those desires, 
Every day, every day, if you're really in touch with yourself, you have a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. That's why there will always be a, even as close as you get to God here on earth, there's still going to be a, a point at which you're discontent. You're made to be discontent. <laughs> because the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And it's only in that other world that you will be truly, completely content, joyful, happy in the true sense of the word. I love that phrase, joy, inexpressible and full of glory. So beloved, in light of all this, and I've just scratched the surface, how shall we now live, as Francis Schaeffer once wrote? How shall we now live? Well, let's move now to our present life. Because notice in verse 11 and verse 14 that there twice there's this emphasis on what we know is coming affecting how we live now. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, meaning the first heaven and earth, it's going to be destroyed. What kind of people ought you to be? You know, in light of the fact that so much here is going to get destroyed and melt and burn, how shall we live in that ball? And then in verse 14, beloved, since you're waiting for these, now this is talking about the permanent heaven, be diligent. Be diligent. Growth takes energy. You don't sit on your duff and expect to grow. You don't grow by sitting on your behind and just say, well, I'm just going to wait for heaven. No, you make every effort. You put forth an effort. Growth takes effort. Sanctification takes energy. But you do it in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So I pray today that this motivates us to be more godly, more holy, not to earn salvation, not to earn favor with God, not to try to get brownie points with Him. No, out of profound, deep gratitude for what we have and what is coming. So there's four things that I pull from this passage. Number one, living holy and godly. He says it in verse 11. He says it in verse 14. Holiness, godliness, to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, your wedding garments are pure. Can you imagine a, a woman on her wedding day walking down the aisle in a white dress and she's got a coffee stain and she just had some pasta with, you know, this, this, this uh, tomato sauce and she just spills it on her dress and she comes down the aisle. We could not imagine that, could we? Man, she wants to be perfect. I mean, the makeup, the hair, the nails, the dress... And, he's, and that's the picture. We're the bride of Christ. God wants us to be ready for Him. Our wedding dress, pure and righteous and clean and holy. And it's interesting, this full phrase, and at peace. The first peace that we need to have is peace with God. Romans 5.1, having therefore been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The first peace you and I need to have is peace with God because we know that our sins are forgiven. We've put our faith and trust in Christ alone. We're not trusting in our works. We're not trusting in our religion. We're not trusting in our baptism. We're not trusting in how much money we give. We're trusting in one thing and one thing only. The blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. And if we put our faith and trust in that, we have peace with God. Because that which kept us from peace, sin, has been removed. And He declares you righteous. This is the good news of the gospel. But also peace with others. That's why Paul said in Acts, you know, I, I seek to maintain a clear conscience with God and man. And so because of what's coming, because of what we're going to experience in the future, we are to live holy, godly, Christ-honoring lives. You know, the closer I am to my wife, the more I value our marriage, the more I don't want things getting in the way of our intimacy and our closeness and our union. If ministry is keeping me from a healthy marriage, and I need to pull back from ministry because I don't want anything to inhibit the kind of marriage God wants me to have. How much more with God that we live in such a desire to be close and abiding in Him that we, we want to remove things or add things that enhance that relationship. That's what He wants. That's how this should affect us. Number two, anticipating our future home. God wants us to live with, an, with a sense of anticipation, waiting for, hastening the coming of the day. 
And we won't get into this hastening verse, but some believe that we can quicken the return of Christ by getting more about the work of fulfilling the Great Commission. Matthew 24, 14 says, when the gospel has been preached to every person, then the end will come. So in other words, the quicker we can get the gospel out to the nations, the more the, we might speed the coming of Christ. I don't know if I believe that or not. I'll let God figure that out. I do know where to obey. But what I, what I want to focus on here is that this, this just this phrase, waiting for. We're to live with a sense of expectancy. So we're not caught off guard like the thief in the night. He says he'll come like a thief in the night. But we live now anticipating the future. See, we need to think more about heaven. This idea that, oh, you're so, of so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good, that's not possible. Because if you're properly heavenly minded, you will be of great earthly good. <laughs> I remember when my wife and I were dating, uh, I had just graduated from Georgia and I went on staff with a church in Minneapolis, and so she was finishing here at Georgia, and we were separated by a thousand miles. And this is back before email. You college students know that there was a time before email, and there were no cell phones. I mean, we actually had to write real letters. You know, you put stamps on them. Y'all ever done that? You put a stamp on this letter and you mail it, you know? Now it's called snail mail. And our, our, our long-distance phone bill one month was $300. Back then, you had to pay more for, for long-distance calls. I know to some of you this is just foreign. Like, what planet was he living on? Did he live with the dinosaurs? No. This was in 1983. But I remember that when I knew I was going to see her, when I knew that in four weeks... I was going to have some time with Dee Dee, and this thousand-mile thing was going to be different. Man, it, it just made me, I was so excited. You know, I got my, my things in order that I needed so that when we're together, I don't have to do any of that stuff. I'm ready. We're going to have undivided time and attention. That's just a little glimpse that knowing what's coming, the anticipation, the waiting for, should affect how we live now. We live with that deep sense of, of joy and looking forward to. And, but, but we also are real in the fact that there's this pull, isn't there? Because in chapter 2, verse 8, we, we learned about Lot. His soul was tormented by the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It said his righteous soul was tormented day by day. And so there's a sense in which this evil, sinful, abusive world we live in today, it grieves us. But there's, there's also a sense in which we do need to be grieved by that. We also need to realize one day it won't be like that. Hallelujah. We can put this in perspective by knowing that this is coming. And so there should be that sense of war within. That's normal, you guys. That's part of sanctification. The more you grow closer to God, the more you'll be grieved by the sin of the world, but also you'll be reminded of what's coming, that it won't be like that forever. Number three, standing strong in our secure position. Now, verse 17 is real interesting. Some take this that you can lose your salvation. I don't personally hold to that view. I'll explain what I believe this means. In verse 17, it says, Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. Now, remember, 2 Peter was written to address false teaching, false prophets, false doctrine. And he's warning these people, Don't let yourself be pulled away into that. Stay strong. Stay steadfast. Stay about the truth. And then he says, And lose your own stability. That's an interesting phrase. The NIV says, fall from your secure position. I don't believe this teaches that you can lose your salvation. Here's what I believe it's teaching. The phrase here was used in the book of Acts for a ship that was anchored, but then it allowed a storm to pull it away from where it was anchored. Okay? Remember those times when Paul was traveling in the latter chapters of Acts? And they would go to this island, and they put the anchor down, but then the ship gets swayed by the storm. So what I believe it's saying is you are anchored in Christ. You are secure in Christ if you're truly saved. But don't drift. Don't slip away from what you have. Don't backslide. That's a good phrase. I know it's kind of a religious phrase, but it's a good phrase. You slide back. Don't become lukewarm. Don't become complacent. In other words, knowing what's coming, stand strong. Don't drift. Don't get lukewarm. Continue to grow, which is the final part here, because the best defense against drifting is a good offense of growing in grace and knowledge. With this verse, we finish our study. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. What a powerful phrase. And I love this because it shows the perfect balance of God's Word and God's nature. Knowledge is truth. Grace is love. 
And truth without grace leads to legalism and performance and rules. Grace without truth leads to licentiousness and no moral standards. We need both, beloved. What does it say in John 1? Jesus came full of truth and grace. We need truth. We need knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Be in the Word. Be reading good books. No theology, no truth, know what God's Word teaches about the nature of God, the Gospel that it's only by Jesus, that He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. Have knowledge that it's not by works. Have knowledge about who you are in Christ. Have knowledge about money and relationships and how to forgive people and, and how to parent. All of that. We need knowledge. This is the best place to get truth. But we also need grace. <laughs> Because we're going to fall short. We're going to fail. But praise God, He's a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. His grace to forgive. His grace to give strength when we're weak. His grace to help us in time of need. And where, beloved, do we see truth and grace perfectly meet at the cross of Jesus? The gospel is where you see all of God's nature come together perfectly because His truth says sin is a big deal. Sin must be punished and judged. But because I'm a God of grace, I'm going to bear your punishment through my own Son. He's going to absorb the wrath of God for you. And so truth and grace perfectly meet at the cross of Jesus. Have you received Him? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you living now with the anticipation of what's to come? Are you rejoicing in the truth that this is your eternal home if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, let's take a few moments. Let's review real quick. Uh, get, let's get questions ready, two mics. Um, as, they're, as they're getting ready, let me just quickly review. What have we learned? We've learned that heaven is a literal place. It's absent of everything bad. It's filled with everything good. It's a great reunion of God's people. And most importantly, it's occupied with God. Because of that, how are we to live? We're to live holy and godly lives. We are to live with anticipation we are to stand strong in our secure position. We are to grow in grace and knowledge. All right, let's take some questions. I will quickly answer the one about animals. That's always what people ask. So in this book, he does a great job, but I would encourage you to go to Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65. It talks about animals being in the new heaven and the new earth. So your pet might be there. I can't speak specifically, but there will certainly be animals because God created them. And they're an amazing part of his creation. Good morning, David. Hey, I, um, you know, been pretty excited with the Revelations class we've been doing on mm. Wednesday nights. And while I was studying through chapter 3 here, I was looking to see if anything would be mentioned as Paul mentioned before this letter in Thessalonians about the rapture. Um, that was referring to more like the return where the dead will sh shall rise first and then we shall meet Jesus in the clouds as yeah. he returns to meet us in the clouds. Yep. Now, this, this second coming, I get the understanding that that speaks more of after the great tribulation and Armageddon when the second coming and we meet with Jesus as the saints behind him on the horse. And it inaugurates the millennial reign. So we haven't gotten into this, but the thousand-year millennial reign, spoken of in Revelation 20, that, that, the, that there'll be a thousand-year period in which Christ reigns on the earth with his people. And uh, that is all before this. This is the permanent heaven. This is after the millennial reign, the, our permanent dwelling with God. If you want to read about the millennial reign... That's in Revelation 20. Yes. After someone dies, I've often heard believers and non-believers say things like, God needed them in heaven more than on earth. Or... He doesn't need anything. <laughs> right. Or, <laughs> heaven gained another angel. I don't think that actually lines up with the scripture, what the Scripture teaches. Are those statements accurate? If not, how do you suggest responding to comments like, that when someone may say uh, that in an attempt to possibly make someone feel better about their loss. 
Yeah, so please, Living Hope, don't say those things. Uh, they're, first of all, not biblically accurate. And second of all, they're trite phrases that often don't bring real comfort. What is true is absent from the body at home with the Lord. The moment a believer dies, their spirit, they don't get their resurrected body until later, their spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. That brings comfort. You know, the Bible says we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. So we grieve because we miss them. Grieving is a very legitimate part of living on earth, and we lose something that's important to us. But we grieve with hope, because the hope is their spirit is now with God. And this idea that he needed them more in heaven, I just don't, I don't like phrases like that. I think they're kind of trite. Uh, God doesn't need anything. Um, but what we can do is we can trust that he's sovereign. And he, belief in the sovereignty of God is one of the most comforting doctrines there is, Spurgeon said. And what sovereign means is that he so very reigns. Let's break the word up. So, sovereign. He so very reigns. He's in control. Sovereign just means that he has a purpose for all things. We may not know it fully here on earth, but he's sovereign and we can trust him. And that he can give us comfort and he can give us strength as we grieve that loss. But one of the best things you can do for people that, are, that, are, that have a tremendous loss is just the ministry of presence. You know, it's sometimes best to keep our mouth shut and just let our tears reflect love and hold them and hug them and bring them a meal and those kind of things. I think it's far more effective. I feel like I understand how to grow in knowledge because it seems practical to me. But how do we grow in grace? Oh, I love that question. Yeah. How do we grow in grace? Because, yeah, more of our emphasis is on knowledge. You need to be in the Word every day, and this is all true. I think you grow in grace, first of all, by reading books about grace. You know, The Grace Awakening by Swindoll. Um, there's a number of great books on grace where, you know, the definition I use, we can go back, I think I didn't share it in the message, but I meant to, is God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches to us, but it was at Christ's expense. And, and just beginning to, to read verses about grace... What does it mean that where sin abounds, grace all the more? Wow, there's one that'll take you deep. And, and just, learn. so grace and knowledge are kind of kissing cousins because part of understanding grace is the knowledge about grace. And then I think, too, receiving God's grace. You know, do we, how well do we really receive His grace? Maybe you've done something in your life that you're ashamed of and that you still feel a lot of condemnation for because the enemy wants to condemn you for that. But if you really believe what God's Word says, if you've truly repented and confessed that to God, what does it say? He, he throws your sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers your sins no more. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So you receiving that for yourself, that's part of growing in grace. Grow in the grace of receiving God's true forgiveness for that sin you committed. And if He doesn't hold you responsible for it anymore, then you shouldn't either. Now, there may be consequences for that, but I'm talking about just between you and God. And so receive that. Let God love on you. Let God really display His amazing grace and mercy on you. That's a great question. Yes? I have a uh, question. You touched on it very briefly. Um, I have a wonderful wife of 32 years, Kathy. I know her. Uh, you said there will be no marriage in heaven. I kind of know this, but I know a lot of people struggle with this yep. issue. Yeah. Uh, so can those you, in bad marriages don't struggle with it. They don't struggle at all. <laughs> but those, those in good marriages do. Yeah. So how, how's that going to look? Yeah. Uh, they're just going to be like our friend or... Yes, Jesus actually said it will be like angels. So we'll ba basically it's that we will all relate to each other on such an equal level. So there won't be any ability, you won't even have the ability to treat somebody better than another. How cool is that? Yeah. Therefore, no comparison, no envy... No jealousy. Isn't that cool? Yes. I mean, that's just... So when we think about it that way, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can accept this, but it should be hard. I love that it's hard for you. Really, that's a great sign. But I think two things. I think number one is that we'll all be relating to each other at such an equal basis. And so we'll... And another question people often ask, well, will you know that Kathy was your wife on earth? Probably, but it won't matter. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, you want to go have intimate relations with her in heaven because there ain't going to be that. Because the joy, the fulfillment, the pleasure in heaven will be so far exceeding anything we know on earth, we will not even want sex. 
It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. You're like, what? He said that word in church? Well, it's in the Bible, so it's okay to say. But also, the other thing is, we will be so unitedly married to God. Amen. You know? That even the thought of marriage to anyone under God is unimaginable. Yeah, that's my best take on that. But Alcorn has a whole section on that. It's really good. He, he addresses so many questions you, you don't even think about. This book is so thorough. It, it really is rich. I, I just commend it to every one of you. I know there's one copy in the library. If anybody wanted to check it out, I'll, I know exactly where it is on the shelf. I could go find it for you. I have one. But you got to bring it back. Is it okay to say that we can learn more grace by showing more grace ourselves? Say one more time. Is it okay to say that we can learn more about grace by showing more grace ourselves? Oh, absolutely. Give and it shall be given. You give grace, more grace will be given to you. Absolutely. Why, do we, why does it seem like horrible things and tragic deaths happen to really good people? And how can I reconstruct my brain so that I am not questioning God? Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, I don't know the first one. Um, but I do know that God can give you the grace to handle anything that comes your way. And you have the, because you have the Spirit, there is nothing that any of us could experience that His grace in us is not sufficient to walk through and pass the test and be a better example to others and a better healer of others because you've been through it. And the Bible talks of, you know, we haven't even gotten into rewards. That's a whole nother discussion. Eternal rewards for those who live faithful, who pass severe tests. There is eternal rewards for believers who live a godly, faithful life. You were going to say something. Uh, uh, biblically, there are no really good people. Ooh, that's good. Uh, we are, when we are born... Outside of Christ. Outside of Christ. Yep. When we're born, we're separated from God. Scripture says we're enemies of God. Mm. And uh, so... Any goodness we might have actually comes from God. That's so good. Good word, brother. Thank you. Okay. A couple more. I have one right here. I was wondering, what's your understanding when you are talking about new heaven and new earth? Um, if we all die and we're going to heaven, who's going to be on the new earth? Who will be in the, who will be in the new earth? Only God's people. So remember we talked about there's intermediate heaven and permanent heaven. This is a permanent heaven. Now, during, during the millennium, there'll be some unbelievers. During the tribulation, there'll be some unbelievers. But this permanent heaven, which, what we have focused on today is the permanent eternal dwelling of God with people. So all sin, evil, and Satan have been cast into the lake of fire forever. So hell has been sealed up, and thus the eternal heaven, which we're talking about today, this is post-trib, post-rapture, post-thousand-year reign. This is the permanent dwelling of God only with his people. Only those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. All others will be removed from Him for eternity. Now, there's an interesting twist in this book about hell. I really encourage some of you to check this out. He talks about, um, you know, a lot of people struggle. How can a loving God even have created this thing called hell? But he says, I, he said, I have a little different twist on hell. These people demonstrated by their life on earth, that they didn't want God in their life, right? They didn't want salvation. They didn't want God. They lived for themselves. So they did not want God to be part of their life. So he is simply assigning for them an eternity of what they said they wanted on earth. Yeah. They said they didn't want God. And so they get for eternity what they demonstrated they wanted by how they lived on earth. John. In 1996, we lost a daughter unexpectedly. How old was she? She lacked two months being 16 years old. And my wife's sister was out of the country at the time. When she got in, first thing she said when she walked through my front door was, what does God think he's doing? Was what? What does God think he's doing? And I say that with, you know, she had a few more adjectives than I want to say here. And I said, wait a minute. I said, the Bible says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God comes to give life and give it more abundantly. Now, that being said, 
why does bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Exactly. But I know God didn't orchestrate it. Mm -hmm. He may have allowed it, but he was not the author of it. Good. Good. Worship team, if you'd come up, maybe we can, as they're getting ready, we could take just a I've couple. got one thought back on Will's question. Okay. You've got the people that are in heaven. We're in heaven. Everything's complete. Then we have a new earth. Can you go between the... No, they're one and the same. They're the new, all one and the same. Yes. I'm sorry. If okay. I didn't, that's yeah. what, I, that's the what new, I wanted to make thank sure you, of that. Thank you. The new I'll heaven and the that. new earth is one and the same. It's not a separate place. But what, what Alcorn does a great job doing is he talks about it, it's going to be so similar. There's going to be so much about heaven that is like what we have on earth. We will travel. He believes we'll have jobs, but they'll be perfectly fulfilling. It won't even be like a, it won't even be like, you know, a job here because jobs were before the fall work was before the fall, but it'll be perfectly fulfilling. We'll travel, we'll have adventure, all this stuff. So the new heaven and the new earth is basically one existence. And so the new heaven might be that there's new planets, you see, new galaxies, but it, it may be a lot like what we know here, but without sin, without Satan, without anything bad, it's this perfect harmonious place where we literally live in a place and, and all of that. Uh, and so the, the heaven part of the new heaven and the new earth may be again. There'll be, there won't be moon or sun. We know that because the, the light of the glory of God will illuminate it. But how do we know there's not you know, stars and other things like we see here? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. You right. don't want to miss it, folks. The fork on the chest. The best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Where's my worship team? Come on up, guys. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my uh, my brother killed himself 13 years ago, and uh, I, we were always told that people that committed suicide went to hell. But my mother refuses to believe that. She. That's guess, a doctrine of the Catholic Church that's not biblical. Oh. In other words, you, you your eternal destiny is not determined by how you die. Your eternal destiny is determined by whether, whether you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You can be legitimately saved by the blood of Jesus and maybe get into some crazy mental disorder that caused you or that affected you to do that. So this idea that anybody who commits suicide is going to hell, it's not biblically based. There's no biblical basis for that. There is actually one verse the Catholic Church uses, but I think it's a, it's a bad translation of that verse. Um, it's in Corinthians. But no, you, your eternal destiny is determined by whether or not you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Not how you die. I love it when truth, you can see it on your face. I love it when the truth of God's word begins to liberate somebody from maybe something that they were believing that wasn't necessarily true. So God, we just thank you. We praise you. Lord, thanks for your word. Just thank God for his word right now. We're going to have so many questions that we don't fully understand. I maybe didn't answer things perfect today. I'm sure I didn't. But just for a moment, just take a, take a deep breath. <laughs> just say, God, thank you that you created heaven. Thank you that there is a place that we will be with you forever. Thank you for hell. Because that is going to send all evil and bad and Satan forever in a place. And now, be sure, be sure, be sure, be sure that you're going there. If you have not received Christ, if you're not certain you're born again, receive Him right now. Say, Lord, I surrender my life to You. I put my faith and trust in Christ alone. Come into my life. Take control. You created me for You, and now I want to give my life to You. The Bible says that these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. God, I pray that the truth and the reality of this eternal home will cause us to worship you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to live holy, godly lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Prayer team, if you would take your spots. 
need prayer for anything, they're here to pray with you. The altar's open if you want to just come and kneel and surrender afresh to God. If you're not sure of your salvation and want help, these folks are here, I'm here. You know, sometimes in our worship, if you feel led to go pray for somebody, I want you to feel free to do that. You know, maybe I'm in the middle of worship and I'm just, Mark Benson comes to my heart and I just say, I think I'm going to go pray for Mark. Ask their permission, but I hope that more and more we can be that kind of church that people are moving around, praying for each other, blessing each other. We're going to have extended response now. We've left some time, 20 minutes, just to get in God's presence, worship Him, and let this be free and spirit-led.